welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> That's how you know it's working. Yeah. That auditory feedback. It's like when a uh, dad has a power drill in his hand. Always squeeze the trigger twice before you do anything. Oh, yeah. I still do that every time I pick it up. Always. You got to check the battery. That's right. It's like, it's like, uh, Pulling the slide on the handgun to make sure there's no live round. It's just happening. Never thought of it that way, but that is fascinating. All right. Well, welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody with Agora Brewing. And Jared the Permi Guy. And recently, I shared the audiobook YouTube link of The Constitution of No Authority by Lysander Spooner to a bunch of people in the Appalachian Agorist server. And got a couple people excited about it, including Jared here. So, uh, Jared wants to talk about it. Hell yeah. I even made Spooner merch already. <laughs> Was that before or after? After. Okay. Yeah, I got I feel some, like I, I got some of the before, but. I got some of the quotes from the the audiobook itself. Nice. Hell yeah, he said the government is a myth and I immediately put it on a shirt. <laughs> um Yeah, to to give a a teaser of how fun of a writer Spooner is, like he at, like at multiple points, kind of just refers to the institution as like worse than toilet paper. Yes, <laughs> it's pretty great. That that's and the the conclusion to this is perfect, and I'm sure we'll read it verbatim when we get to that point. Uh, we should. That's something that for sure will be will make its way into this. Um, so Man. to start with, just a little bit of background on Spooner for people who don't know. Um, he was around in the 19th century. Uh, 1808 to 1879, he was a staunch abolitionist, um, a, an anarchist of the roughly left-wing persuasion at the time. Um, he's been referred to as a market socialist, which I don't understand well enough to say any further about. Um, but some more uh, highlights. He was a lawyer illegally in massachusetts which is pretty fucking awesome started his own competition to the post office which eventually was shut down by the federal government obviously they just embroiled him in legal suits that dried up all of his money and then passed laws afterwards to further enforce their legal monopoly um and he wrote all sorts of shit to stir the pot and cause hell for 
politicians of his day. Yeah, and um, for those who don't know, the Constitution of No Authority is actually, I think, part, is it like part three or four out of a five-part series called No Treason? Yeah, so it's number six, um, but there's, okay. only, there's only three that I have been able to track down that are actually available still. Numbers one, two, and six. I don't know what happened to the others, or if they were never finished or published, but Numbers one, two, and six of No Treason are publicly available. Uh, part number six is the Constitution of No Authority, which is what we're discussing today. Um, we'll have to check the Muses.org website um, because I swear that there, it's definitely more than just one, two, and six. Um, and I know when I look it up on YouTube... I think there's at least four of them on YouTube because there's okay. an audiobook version. Gotcha. Okay. So I'll have to look, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that. Well, it might be that one of them didn't get finished. I, I that sounds familiar to me, but I know there was more than just three. Okay. We'll provide links to what we can find in the show notes for further yeah. reading. Uh, but the Constitution of No Authority was written in 1870, as far as I can see. Um, so keep that in mind with all of the arguments that take place, that this was written, what, 79 years after uh, the Constitution was passed? Was it 1791? Uh, 1791 was something. 81. 81? Okay. I think. Somewhere in there. So this is very, you just, just say, a, a generation after... The Constitution is passed. Somebody is throwing this much of a fit over it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, just to foreshadow, he's also one of the... Well, it's interesting to hear it from Lysander Spooner when this was... What did you say? This was 1871 that this was written? 70. 70. Yep. Okay. So, what what is that? Five years after the end of the civil war mm -hmm. um and he uh you know just called it like it was you know you hear in a lot of libertarians especially from guys like tom woods and stuff talking about how the um well and there's been a, there's been a whole book written on this so uh the book is uh what is it emancipating slaves and slaving free men that sounds right yeah Okay, so um, Spooner, five years after the Civil War, calls it in this document where he says uh, that the, the government only freed the slaves as a means to uh, win the war. And mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I, I think that's, that's incredibly damning at the time. Um, you know, to have somebody railing against the propaganda that the Gettysburg Address was. Um, and even calling it after the fact to, you know, like like now everyone is taught in schools. I, th I think he would be extremely upset that like we're, we still have kids growing up being taught that, you know, Abe Lincoln freed the slaves and that's about as much that they learn about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure he was not a fan of Lincoln. Absolutely not. So, uh, without further ado, uh, the, the main topic of the document is the Constitution itself and, you know, sort of six ways to Sunday about why it isn't a contract and can't be construed as one. Yeah, and that that's something that Cody and I were discussing earlier today. Um, it, it's it's kind of like a chorus that Spooner will come back to over and over, just saying, um, was it, it's been lost. Let me find it. For general principles of law and reason. On general principles of law and reason, yeah. Yeah. So he'll he'll start a point and then he goes, and because on general principles of law and reason, this is why you're dumb. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. To Three me, bullet point basically to, starts with that. <laughs> yes. To me, it also um, felt kind of synonymous with uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's just like, hey, this is the case and you're dumb if you don't see it. I don't need to justify any further, although I've done a lot of justifying. Uh, I feel like my point's been made. Like right. if, you, if your head is outside well, he, of your ass, you should understand this. Yeah, he's it, yeah because basically every time he says that, he's prefacing it with like the most obvious statement that you can think of, and yet mm-hmm. I guarantee you, every state statement that he makes, you could hear like you know some college socialist today arguing you know the exact opposite, as if like they've just never heard you know, the, the rebuttal. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, I hear you have highlights yes, and I don't know um, how you want to, how you want to get into it. I actually wanted to kind of just skip over the first paragraph. We can do a quick summary of it, but I want to jump right into the quotation of the start of the constitution and just go through, um, the, basically the way it's framed and see how that's held up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What What was the very paragraph about? Is it different? Uh, the Constitution has no inherent authority or obligation. It has no authority or obligation at all, unless as a contract between man and man. Gotcha. Right. So he basically starts the whole thing off saying that um, a contract can only be valid in between individuals. Right. Um, and, and that And that is sort of the basis of the whole rest of the argumentation yes you got to be present and uh like signatory to the contract and also of sound mind yep fully informed and all of that um so anyway uh yeah let's get right into the um meat because this this opening with uh actually reading the constitution is incredible yes so we, the people of the United States, we've already got problems. Um, as Spooner rightfully pointed out in the first paragraph, very few of the people then existing in the United States were signatory to the Constitution. So already thrown up red flags, already got a problem. In order to form a more perfect union, do we feel like we've got a fairly perfect union here, Cody? Absolutely not. Have we ensured domestic tranquility? <laughs> I mean, just look at the news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have we provided for the common defense? Hmm. 
Well, I feel very safe from the, um, you know, the the wackadoos in Waco. Yes, yes, they they were soundly defeated. <sighs> I mean, you, you can say that there's there's very little threat of foreign invasion. Eh, well, you know, we're we're gonna see about that here in the next year or two. Yeah, fair, and a, a lot of that also comes down to personal responsibility. Just having well, and, having the means to protect your own space. Well, that's true, and that being I, I think well known. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that um, you know we're talking about like foreign countries coming into the like why have they not come into the u.s and i don't think it has anything to do with defense i think it's just because like and he points this out with his discussion of the rothschilds later is that we've basically been using credit and monetary control to siphon wealth out of the rest of the world by exporting our inflation Mm -hmm. and uh so the reason we haven't been attacked, I think, is just because we've been keeping everyone else poor. <laughs> yeah, that very well could be. It comes to like one of Saifedean's common points that he beats on is that like every other uh, every other currency in the world already has baked into it whatever goes wrong with the dollar plus the additional risk of whatever your government is doing wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yes, very good point. Um, all right, moving on. Promote the general welfare feel like we generally are more well off than in 1870 uh yes but the question to me would be uh how's the you know uh what would you call it the general uh pricing of various goods since 1971 right yeah and it's also the scene versus the unseen Right. I was uh, I was reading in the well that too yeah but I was reading in uh, Safedine's book Fiat Standard yesterday that uh, uh, while in there's a graph that shows it like he, he's one of his sources is that while energy capacity in the U.S. I think it was in the U.S. it might have been global I think it was in the U.S. energy capacity has been basically on a on a steady increase since industrialization like it the amount of electricity that we produce and all of that has been steadily going up but you see in 1971 it just level our consumption was matching all the way up until 1971 and now it's leveled off because we've got price controls monopolies of electric companies all of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and and gas price increases um and so so our consumption is actually leveled off. And then you see also like our standard of living has leveled off and it's because of artificial prices. Yeah. Yeah. I think that chart also shows up in one form or other on WTF happened in 1971.com free show. Oh, it might. have. I would believe it. Also. I have WTF happened in 1971 shirts available. I just printed the first couple. They haven't been posted up yet, but this episode releases in a few weeks. So they have posted up, and thank you to those who have bought them. Mid-roll shill. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Heavily Armed Clown. Hell yeah. Intellectual property is not real. Um, so we got one last point here. And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. 
I think there there's absolutely no argument that there is less fewer blessings of liberty for ourselves than there were to those past. So I have a point about this that regards the conversation we were having at Allo today. Sure. Uh so Spooner gets into talking about how one, you know, like like the contract is invalid because a it's made between like nobody to nobody, you know, because who is we the people, and then who the hell are the who are elected, and how, you know, because elections happen in a black box and and it's anonymously, um, you know, how how do you even know? If the like you, you can't know who voted for who, and therefore you can't know who's beholden unto who, and so yeah. it's all just kind of a mess. Yeah, that but was an interesting. On top point. of that, right? On top of that, he says uh, securing it for our posterity. Right. So not only is the is the contract invalid, but you know Spooner goes to great lengths to say that. Um, you can't bind. So not only is the contract invalid, but you can't bind people who weren't even alive at the time, let alone were they informed or there for it or signed anything. Right. But people who weren't even alive yet, you're binding to, to be in this thing. And so, you know, he points out like the, the wording of that is just, well, we're trying to ensure liberty for our posterity. It's like, okay, well, so you hope that that happens and that things work out well, good for you, but you can't, you can't say that, you know, we're going to we're going to make this contract, this union, and then bind everyone within the geographic borders to it for all time. Like, no, that that makes no sense. Right. And. Uh, well, I have a I have a point relating to the post libertarian stuff about that. Do it. Uh, well, so Spooner brings up that. You know, if if you're going to do that, if you're going to make people beholden under this contract without their consent, right? Because these are people who, are, who don't even exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say, well, see, it's for their liberty. Like, Spooner goes to great lengths to point out that, like, that's a contradiction. Yes. If you enslave someone to a government and it's for their liberty, they're, you can't be free and a slave at the same time. You're just a slave. Yep. Yep. He says that um, It's just, it, like, the shittiest excuse in the world. Yeah, he says it, like, at least three or four times. Um, and so I would like to point out that, you know, some of these people who are like really obsessed with the idea of, I don't know, getting into even local government and trying to affect change and get freedom and blah, blah, well, blah. I think the, the big point libertarians is, just don't do anything. Yeah. The big point is punishing people they disagree with. That, that's, that's or punishing made people explicit. they disagree with in, yeah. in any case. Right. Well, in any case, in all those cases. Uh, you are forcing people to do shit at the point of a gun and you know like it's an oxymoron you can't say oh well we're gonna get freedom by you know getting hold of the of the reins of power and then just beat beating people over the head with it yeah so um you know good good job guys you know uh, all you post-libertarians out there, you sound exactly <laughs> like Nick Fuentes. And at least he has the balls to not call himself, you know, 
something retarded like a post-libertarian. Sure. Um, I mean, one point I will make, like, the the idea that they have just in its simplest form of getting like-minded people together in an area and living the way you want to live is exactly in alignment with libertarian or anarchist principles. I don't understand how they've been incapable of seeing that or why they think that it needs to be done in a small town, but also there have to be leftists there so that they can be driven out to make a point. Like it, it, it's all very contradictory. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, you can't just go make your own town. So what you got to do is you got to get elected in the town that already exists. And, and then you got to go around acting like a Nazi. Yeah. That, that because that'll look great. Yeah. That that's not made any, that's been the, the part that's made the least sense to me. Yeah, it's, they're just nasty, and no one should take them seriously. But somehow that's where we're at. Yeah, I think I think there's something to be said for the punching up as well, because uh, that got him on Dave Smith's radar quickly and big signal boost there. And as, that that was kind of what I was saying about like these people. I think are just saying the most ridiculous crap because our community gets angry at ridiculous crap very easily mm-hmm. and it boosts their signal. Yeah. And I mean, it, it literally is, this is the, the way that the modern media works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Or really so, how, how media has always worked, say. Right. The, the important point to draw out is talk confidently and punch upward. <laughs> right. doesn't matter if anything you're saying makes any sense. I mean, just look at the press secretary now, just say whatever you want and say it with, at least a little bit of confidence. Uh, there's like a there's like a career self help thing that tells you to do exactly that. Just say shit with confidence, <laughs> and people will believe you. There's there's some validity to that, and it's uh, it's a dangerous weapon. To jump back sure. into Spooner, um, he goes through three different examples of how a person cannot bind their posterity um, based on his actions or words he's written or anything of the like. And my favorite example, being the Permi guy, is this one. So when a man says he is planting a tree for himself and his posterity, he does not mean to be understood as saying that he has any thought of compelling them, nor is it to be inferred that he is such a simpleton as to imagine that he has any right or power to compel them to eat the fruit. So far as they are concerned, he only means to say that his hopes and motives in planting the tree are that its fruit may be agreeable to them. Beautiful. Fantastic. Exactly. Um, give me just a second. I need to get my dog on a leash because she is trying to destroy my hands. <laughs> All right.
I have returned. Sweet. Okay. So that pretty much covers the first section. Part two, there's there's a lot of parts, so we're it sounds like a one part, two part. Um Spooner gets into um so it's it's an invalid contract, but maybe by voting or by paying taxes, the people of the United States can be said to be agreeing to this invalid contract. First he tackles voting. Um goes through how few people were able to vote in the antebellum times, uh, that being just propertied men. Um, so he he says maybe one tenth, one fifteenth, or one twentieth of those existing had could have incurred any obligation to support the Constitution by voting. Um, Yeah, so it, at, at the very least, with that argument, the majority have no obligation to the Constitution because they're not even voting for it. Uh, but then he gets into this large section here that seems to be a quotation from elsewhere, but there's no citation given. And I just want to read through at least a good part of this because I like the way that he works through it. In truth, in the case of individuals, their actual voting is not to be taken as proof of consent, even for the time being. On the contrary, it is to be considered that, without his consent ever having been asked, a man finds himself environed by a government that he cannot resist, a government that forces him to pay money, render service, and forego the exercise of many of his natural rights under peril of weighty punishments. He sees, too, that other men practice this tyranny over him by the use of the ballot. He sees further that if he will if he will but use the ballot himself, he has some chance of relieving himself from this tyranny of others by subjecting them to his own. In short, he finds himself, without his consent, so situated that if he use the ballot, he may become a master. If he does not, he must become a slave. And he has no other alternative than these two. In self-defense, he attempts the former. His case is analogous to that of a man who has been forced into battle where he must either kill others or be killed himself. Because, to save his own life, a man attempts to take the lives of his opponents, it is not to be inferred that the battle is one of his own choosing, neither in contest with the ballot, which is a mere substitute for a bullet, because all as his only chance of self-preservation, a man uses a ballot, is it to be inferred that the contest is one in which he voluntarily entered that he voluntarily set up all his own natural rights as a stake against those of others to be lost or won by the mere power of numbers. On the contrary, it is to be considered that in an exigency into which he has been forced by others, in which no other means of self-defense offered, he, as a matter of necessity, used the only one that was left to him. That is beautiful. Yeah. I love his lengthy sentences too. I miss that way of writing. I've always loved that. Just like all the all the additional prepositional phrases and uh, similes and such thrown in there. Right. Um. Let's see. So, yeah, he's kind of saying like voting can be done defensively, but that doesn't mean that the person who's voting is consenting to the system. Yes. Just because you voted for a particular candidate doesn't mean you have to suck their dick as well. It seems that right. those two have become like necessarily interlinked now. Like you've got to aggressively blow 
whoever you vote for, but you don't. You can just you can just do it and not mention it to anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's it's used like to be a, a time when you know, talking about who you voted for was as bad as talking about how much you get paid and all that kind of stuff. And now people are just so I don't know, waving it in each other's faces. It's weird. Mm -hmm. Here's a good little line. Good little line as well. As taxation is made compulsory on all, whether they vote or not, a large proportion of those who vote no doubt do so to prevent their own money being used against themselves, when in fact they would have gladly abstained from voting if they could thereby have saved themselves from taxation alone, to say nothing of being saved from all the other usurpations and tyrannies of the government. Beautiful. Say that last part to say nothing of what? To say nothing of being saved from all the other usurpations and tyrannies of the government. Basically, if, if you could not vote and keep all the taxes the government takes from you but still have all the rest of the rules, most people would take that deal. Yep. Alright, what's next? Um, so he goes through lots of other um, reasons why voting cannot be a sign of consent. Um, well, here's another one. Many votes are usually given for candidates who have no prospect of success. Libertarian Party. Those who give such votes may reasonably be supposed to have voted as they did with a special intention not to support, but to obstruct the execution of the Constitution and therefore against the Constitution itself. So he's saying that voting for someone who has no chance of winning cannot de facto be listed as a support of the Constitution. It could be indirect opposition to the constitution right or or really to say that voting itself is not consent because you could be voting for someone who you believe is going to tear the system apart right and that's why you're voting yes exactly <laughs> so yeah all right so jumping into section three the payment of taxes being compulsory, of course, furnishes no evidence that anyone voluntarily supports the Constitution. Beautiful way to start. You sound beautiful. Yeah, excellent. Um, so point number one in this section. It is true that the theory of our Constitution is that all taxes are paid voluntarily, that our government is a mutual insurance company voluntarily entered into by the people with each other, that each man makes a freely and purely voluntary contract with all others who are parties to the Constitution to pay so much money for so much protection, the same as he does with any other insurance company, and that he is just as free not to be protected and not to pay tax as he is to pay a tax and be protected. Are you familiar with anyone else having stated so plainly this theory of the constitution as a mutual like setting up the government as a mutual insurance company well i mean i think that's kind of like the argument like especially from leftists is like that we're this is us you know pooling our money in order to pay for shit like infrastructure and defense and stuff so he's he's saying it very bluntly like he's not beating around the bush He's just saying that you know, that's what you're assuming it is, and it's totally not. Okay. I'm following you. Because my immediate yeah. thought was 
like basically going to Bob Murphy and it's like if if that was the understanding that this was a mutual insurance company at the start then does a Murphyan society end up in the same place that we are now 200 years later does a what society uh, a society like that proposed in chaos theory I would say no because those are competing insurance companies Right, yeah, the competition within would make the difference. That yeah, makes they're, sense. They're not monopolizing the use of violence. They're just actually doing a job for actual customers. Right, right. But the Praxians would say you're just changing the name, and oh, is everybody going to have their own uh, private police force or what? As if they didn't understand that a year ago. Wow. Yes, it's incredible. It's it's actually kind of fun to, to listen to. Uh, cause it's like Contra Krugman, but if Paul Krugman had been an Austrian until yesterday. I'm sorry, what? It's like, it's like in my head, I'm creating a Contra Krugman episode, but it's like I'm listening to Paul Krugman if, if Krugman had been an Austrian up until yesterday, and then yesterday he started writing like a retard. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. This theory of government is wholly different from the practical fact. The fact is that the government, like a highwayman, says to a man, your money or your life. And many, if not most, taxes are paid under the compulsion of that threat. Yes, this is basic, like, probably, I don't know if he was one of the first to say it, but this is, this is one of the libertarian anarchist 101 uh, ideals. There are he some... says in far too many words that taxation is theft. Yes, yes, in many, many, many words. Uh, but there is... By the way, this is probably my favorite section because it starts right off the bat. And you're going to hear it here in a second. But he keeps calling the highwayman a gentleman compared to the government. Yes, he does. It's such a good way to put it. Yes, I thought that he said at some point in there something about a simpleton, but the simpleton only referred back to the part about the tree being planted. So I was, I've lost my spot a little bit here. Oops. Yep, no worries. Um, okay, yes. This is kind of getting into the start of that. The highwayman takes solely upon himself the responsibility, danger, and crime of his own act. He does not pretend that he has any rightful claim to your money or that he intends to use it for your own benefit. He does not pretend to be anything but a robber. He has not acquired impudence enough to profess to be merely a protector and that he takes men's money against their will merely to enable him to protect those infatuated travelers who feel perfectly able to protect themselves or do not appreciate his peculiar system of protection. He is too sensible a man to make such professions as these. Furthermore, having taken your money, he leaves you, as you wish him to do. He does not persist in following you on the road against your will, assuming to be your rightful sovereign, on account of the protection he affords you. He does not keep protecting you by commanding you to bow down and serve him, by requiring you to do this and forbidding you to do that, by robbing you of more money as often as he finds it for his interest or pleasure to do so, and by branding you as a rebel, a traitor, and an enemy to your country and shooting you down without mercy if you dispute his authority or resist his demands. He is too much of a gentleman to be guilty of such imposture 
failures and insults and villainies as these. In short, he does not, in addition to robbing you, attempt to make you either his dupe or his slave. God, that's good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Too much of a gentleman for... What did he say after that? He's too much of a gentleman to be guilty of such impostures and insults and villainies as these. That's a good one. Yes, it is. That's that's wonderful. All right. What's uh, what's our next uh, bullet point or section? Yeah. So that covers pretty well the gist of the argument that payment of taxes implies can consent to the constitution uh he sums it up with it is perfectly evident therefore that neither such voting nor such payment of taxes as actually takes place provides anybody's consent or obligation to support the constitution consequently we have no evidence at all that the constitution is binding upon anybody or that anybody is under any contract or obligation whatever to support it and nobody's under any obligation to support it so he just makes it clear again summing up the first three points so far um, part four, the constitution not only binds nobody now, but it never did bind anybody. It never bound anybody because it was never agreed to by anybody in such a matter as to make it on general principles of law and reason binding upon him. So this is where he gets into the, the semantics of what it takes to actually be party to a contract. Um, so this is definitely interesting from a lawyer, like even somebody who is... I don't think he gets into the necessarily the example of a paralyzed person, but certainly he talks about people who are uh, illiterate, at least making their mark, quote unquote, which is where that, that um, term came from. If you are with a, uh, what's the, what's the word? Like a scribe. I don't think it's the word he used, but you basically, if you were illiterate, you would sit with a scribe to have them explain the contract to you. A scribe would be a very important person in such a land where literacy is not high because he would be counted on to explain contracts to illiterate people. And upon both parties agreeing that they understand the terms they're agreeing to, the illiterate man who is being made part of the contract would make some sort of a mark in absence of his signature because he didn't know how to write his own name, which even... It seems in the 1870s when this is written, uh, Spooner explains that's not uncommon. And was the yep. uh, basic um, genesis of using wax seals on uh, documents. Just a, a, Well, a, they, they've done that for a long-ass time, but it uh, definitely came in handy when you couldn't write. Yeah. Yep that that would be more the the style where you we see buy one of those. like at the end of you a know, letter maybe a wax seal that's just got like a couple letters on it or something mm -hmm. that it'd be more like a, a seal that you put at the end of uh, a document rather than stamping the envelope closed to show that it's, this is the king's mark and it's not been tampered with right right yeah. Well, I think even on a letter, it wasn't just the king's mark. It was just, that's how you seal the letter. You didn't have, you know, because if you wanted to make sure that it hadn't been opened, that's what you would do. Yeah. Yep. It makes sense. Yeah. And you would have a unique seal to yourself to 
also have that verification that it came from the person that it says that it did. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that's more decorative, but they also probably used the same <clears throat> seal for signing things. Cause why would you buy two? Sure. Unless you're a king and just want to, well, that's you're what using I mean. other yeah, people's if, money. <laughs> exactly. Like you think about the poverty, like they probably needed one. Right. That makes sense. Um, so part five just gets into further semantics of a contract needing to be both written and signed, uh, which obviously is important when you're discussing the constitution as a contract, but you know, it's, it's fairly interesting to read, but not too interesting to recount the writing. Right. Yeah. I mean, the main point there is just to say, like, if if you're looking at the constitution itself, it's not really, a lot of it really isn't written. It's just sort of assumed and again like there's no one to have signed like the people who signed it can be said to have consented to it but like they don't consent for everyone and not everyone signed it and you know how many people were actually there to witness that even happen or be privy to it until it was announced in the newspapers you know like right and i believe he also gets into power of attorney like you can have somebody sign documents on your behalf if you feel that you're incapable of doing so at a certain point, but even that cannot be said to have happened in the case of the constitution. Yep. For all the, all the reasons we've gone through so far. Yes. He is very exhaustive in smacking down the points. Cause I'm sure this is something that he was ranting about around town and he, he heard the common objections and just threw them all in this document. <laughs> That's the way I, I picture it. He's just shit posting around town. Yeah, probably. <laughs> a muckraker. I love it. Probably probably had some bad experiences at the bar talking to dumbasses and then came home and was like, okay, let me write down all the reasons they're wrong and then publish it. <laughs> it worked. I mean, at least yep. as far as surviving into posterity and, and having ripples throughout history. It yeah, hasn't, for sure. It hasn't made the world free, so I guess it failed. Mm, well, you know. It's always I'm, good to be able to say, like, you know, people, and this guy, this guy was an abolitionist. He was a northerner. Yeah, yeah, he was in Massachusetts. And yeah, and so he was writing this at the time of the Civil War. So you can't act like, you know, you're going to look back in history and act like this guy didn't exist because, you know, blue good, red bad, south bad, or whatever. Like, well, here's a guy who completely disagrees with you. And he did all the stuff that if, even to like a modern leftist would be a good person. Mm-hmm. But if they read this, they would be like, no. Right. 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 But on the, at the same time, it's kind of, it's interesting because in modern politics, like leftists hate the constitution because they think it restricts them too much. Yeah. Isn't that wild? But at the same time, you have to feel like the constitution is the reason you have power in the first place. So it's kind of weird that like they would hate the constitution as much as they do, but it's, you know, I don't know. It, it's sort of a. It, it, I think I think they're all too focused on hating the other team that it's you know it's hard for them to even think about something as complex as this. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think most people are like it's it's a weird thing, right? Like you'd think people are too busy to be bothered by things like this, but they they they're busy spending their time on things that are dumber. <laughs> Right, yeah, they're they're busy, but what are they busy with? Yes, uh, what's the shouting on oh, Facebook? Man. What's the word? What's the Kaczynski word? 
uh, surrogate activities. Yeah, there you go. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so part six, it is no exaggeration but a literal truth to say that by the Constitution, not as I interpret it, but as it is interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, the properties, liberties, and lives of the entire people of the United States are surrendered unreservedly into the hands of men who, it is provided by the Constitution itself, shall never be questioned to as to any disposal they make of them. Man. So this is where he's starting to get into the point of you know the we won't spoil the the ending to the document just yet, but his his real beef with the constitution like yes it's illegitimate i've i've spent several pages explaining that already but it's still being used as a a venue to get at doing whatever the people in power think is allowed of them right they're always going to appeal to the constitution when it when it serves them and then wipe their ass with it also when it doesn't they're wiping their ass with it either direction but you know, it's like a, a, a positive or negative reinforcement. They wipe both up and down. Indeed. Front and back of that piece of paper. <laughs> Ooh, you know what? This would be a good debate to have. We talked with, when we talked to guys from, uh, and he said, we were talking about how dollars would probably make good paper, t- toilet paper because you could put them through the wash and they look really soft. That's true. We could argue about what the Constitution was written on and see, because if that was like an animal skin or something, you know, they could probably make some pretty good toilet paper. Hmm. I feel like that's something that could be easily looked up because there's so much mysticism and reverence around it that's got to be known. <laughs> we should definitely look that up. Uh... On it. Live? Yes. <laughs> okay. ConstitutionCenter.org has Constitution FAQs. You're breaking up. They have FAQs? Yes, on the ConstitutionCenter.org. Wow. Mm. Nobody is explaining what it's made of, which is pretty lame. Um, But the Constitution Center, where is the Constitution? Is it at the National Constitution Center? The National Constitution Center owns a rare original copy of the first public printing of the Constitution. The printing was, this printing was published in a newspaper two days after the Constitution was signed. The Constitutional Convention was conducted under an oath of secrecy, so this printing represents the first time that Americans, we the people, saw the constitution so i think the uh actual constitution is on display at the library of congress uh the national but archives that's based on the national archives okay i don't maybe those are in the same place i don't know they but might be who knows that's <laughs> that's based on my uh childhood watching of national treasure so take it with a grain <laughs> of salt <laughs> yes i believe it said National Archive. Maybe it was on display for a time at the library. I don't remember. Man, I need to watch oh, that man. again. I love those movies. Right? Nick Cage radicalized me. That was one of the few like 
normal Nick Cage movies. <laughs> I know. I know. I, as a child, like obviously having had affinity with that movie, I was like, oh man, I love this guy. And it's like, you know, you're, you're a kid. You don't realize that the actor isn't the character and that the actor may have just had one good role. And so I watched, uh, God, I don't remember what it was. He was, he was some sort of a cop. It was just like, over the top vulgar for no reason. And I'm like 12 years old and I'm like, this is not what I expected from the, the constitution, Benjamin Franklin guy. <laughs> right. The hundred dollar bill through a water bottle guy. Yeah. Uh, good times. Simpler oh, times. Yep. Um, so I'm just going to read another paragraph here. This is from part seven. Uh, on general principles of law and reason shows up again here, but that's not the paragraph I'm reading. If any considerable number of the people believe the Constitution to be good, why do they not sign it themselves and make laws for and administer them upon each other, leaving all other persons who do not interfere with them in peace? Until they have tried the experiment for themselves, how can they have the face to impose the Constitution upon and, or even to recommend it to others? Plainly, the reason for such absurd and inconsistent conduct is that they want the Constitution not solely for any honest or legitimate use it can be of to themselves or others, but for the dishonest and illegitimate power it gives them over the persons and properties of others. But for this latter reason, all their eulogisms, you, no, that's not even eulogisms, eulogiums on the Constitution, all their exhortations and all their expenditures of money and blood to sustain it would be wanting. Ooh. So he's saying, but if it weren't for the power that seems to be granted within the Constitution, there would be no use for it, even for the uh, ruling class. Right. I love the part where he just says, well, why don't you guys go try it and tell, tell us how it goes? Yeah. And all I can think about is 2021 much. Sure. Try to avoid certain buzzwords from uh, getting this podcast banned. Fuck them. Do it. I don't care. Again, vaccines, bro. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the same thing. It's just, it's, it's all just a smoke and mirrors game. And the constitution was just one very early step in it, at least in the American context. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's an obvious, an additional obvious case in point of just that feeling of needing to have others bend to your will. It's like, if you're not doing what I think is good, then you're evil. Right. Yeah, and they almost do that. Yeah, because uh, like you said about the guy. <coughs> almost died there. Don't do that. Oh, God. Like you said about the, the highwayman, you know, if the highwayman was a government, he would follow you around. And, uh, you know, if you tried to, like, run away or tell him to get lost, he would yell, you know, traitor at you and call mm -hmm. you all sorts of names about your infidelity and stuff. As though you ever had any reason to be um, loyal to him in the first place. Yes, it's a, it's a strange world. Nope. Um, all right, moving forward in Section 8, we're, there's no chance we get through all of this, but. We're going to jump to the end before no. it's over because I, I mean, we've got to read the final line. It's the best line of the whole thing. Um, section 8. The Constitution itself being of no authority. On what authority does our government practically rest? 
On what ground can those who pretend to administer it claim the right to seize men's property, to restrain them of their natural liberty of action, industry, and trade, and to kill all who deny their authority to depose, dispose of men's properties, liberties, and lives at their pleasure or discretion? The most they can say in answer to this question is that for that some half, two-thirds, or three-fourths of the male adults of the country, and likely, I mean, obviously at the time, this would have been specifically white uh, landed male adults of the country, have a tacit understanding that they will maintain a government under the Constitution, that they will select by ballot the persons to administer it, and that those persons who may receive a majority or a plurality of their ballots shall act as their representatives representatives and administer the constitution in their name and by their authority but this tacit understanding admitting it to exist cannot at all justify the conclusion drawn from it a tacit understanding between a b and c that they will by ballot depute d as their agent to deprive me of my liberty property or life cannot at all authorize d to do so he is nonetheless a robber, tyrant, and murderer because he claims to act as their agent than he would be if he avowedly acted on his own responsibility alone. So this is you know, just like right in line with Hoppe, the, the problem of democracy. Yeah. Well, I mean, even then, he's, he's just like, look, like their, their power just completely rests on the fact that they're going around beating people up. So he's really, it's, he, he's saying monopoly on violence without saying monopoly on violence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> which is very it, it's cool to hear somebody this old. But um, I will I will contest you on the the white landed males thing. This was written in 70. So you got to like he is speaking from the perspective of like, OK, well, they have the right to vote now. And he's in I think he, I think he would say like, yeah, like even if it was some half to two thirds or three quarters of males who knew. And, and I think he's saying even if that many people actually even knew what the hell was going on, it would be bullshit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and I, I understand that. I, I was kind of thinking it through as I said it, and I still think, you know, five years after the end of the Civil War, it, it's probably unlikely that any group of people, having been subjected to slave conditions and basically no education would be expected to have an understanding of the the arguments he's making here. Well, that's true. I think I, I'm just trying to like speak like if if we look at the world from his perspective where he's, you know, like not racist in the slightest because right. he's, you know what I mean? Like, I think he kind of just goes, okay, well, this is the law now. So even if. Yeah, and, okay. And of yeah, course, yeah. he, yeah, he probably doesn't you. think that, but that's what I, I, I think he's just looking at it from a simple, like, on paper view, not like the reality of the fact that they just got out of slavery. Because um, even, even on paper, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's putting them on equal footing, like, assuming that you've got yeah. the same understanding as any other person. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally yeah, fair. That's what I would say. But, you know, I mean, we are talking about somebody from the 19 or 1870s. So, I, you know, I don't know. But, he comes off very uh like i don't think you could ever construe him as racist at least from this particular document for sure yeah absolutely not yeah um so jumping to section nine this is excellent what is the motive of the secret secret ballot this and only this like other confederates in crime 
Those who use it are not friends but enemies, and they are afraid to be known, and to have their individual doings known, even to each other. They can contrive to bring about a sufficient understanding to enable them to act in concert against other persons, but beyond this they have no confidence and no friendship among themselves. In fact, they are engaged quite as much in schemes for plundering each other as in plundering those who are not of them, and it is perfectly well understood among them that the strongest party among them will, in certain contingencies, murder each other by the hundreds of thousands, as they lately did do, to accomplish their purposes against each other. Hence they dare not be known, and have their individual doings known, even to each other. And this is avowedly the only reason for the ballot, for a secret government, a government by secret bands of robbers and murderers, and we are insane enough to call this liberty. To be a member of this secret band of robbers and murderers is esteemed a privilege and an honor. Without this privilege, a man is considered a slave, but with it, a free man. With it, he is considered a free man because he has the same power to secretly, by secret ballot, procure the robbery, enslavement, and murder of another man that the other man has to procure his robbery, enslavement, and murder, and they this they call equal rights. God dang. And people act like we'd, you know, be violent and shooting each other if we all owned guns. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Bruh. <laughs> well, this is this almost calls back to the point that we made earlier with people like having made it into a team sport, because even though everybody acts like there's so much more at stake now, it's almost a tacit admission that there's a lot less at stake if you're open about your support or dissidents. Yeah, that's probably true. It's a weird inversion. Yeah, because when... Because if you think about it, like, when things are actually at stake, like, I don't think anybody thinks, like, voting is the way they go about doing anything. But we've, yeah, it's such a team sport because we'll act like it on TV, you know, that the women screaming in the street and all the, you know, showing up at judges' houses and stuff. And it's just like, really? Like, <clears throat> things things used to be a hell of a lot worse. and. You know. Yep, yep, yep. I understand. I agree. Um, man. Ah, I missed I missed one of my favorite lines, so I'm gonna jump back to it. So this is back in the section of taxes not uh equaling consent to the constitution. To him, the government is a myth, an abstraction, an incorporeality, God, that's a good word, with which he can make no contract and to which he can give no consent and make no pledge. He knows it only through its pretended agents. The government itself he never sees. He knows indeed by common report that certain persons of a certain age are permitted to vote and thus to make themselves parts of, or if they choose, opponents of the government for the time being. But who of them do thus vote, and especially how each one votes, whether so as to aid or oppose the government, he does not know. The voting being all done secretly, by secret ballot, who therefore practically compose the government, for the time being he has no means of knowing. Of course he can make no contact with them, give them no consent, and make them no pledge. Of necessity, therefore, his paying taxes to them implies, on his part, no contract, consent, or pledge to support them, that is, to support the government or the Constitution." Mm. Bro, your internet hates you. Gosh, dang it, man. Or my internet. And I'm not going to make you go back through that, but like, I, that was hard. <laughs> Damn it. The government is a myth. That's the important part. Right. Yeah, it just it's just like slowing down, and then it'll stop, cut like 
a whole second out and then speed you up to catch you up. And it's like it's terrible. Great. So I just missed like the entire context of that sentence. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I'm so proud of myself. I've done so well reading out loud, which is not my strong suit. I know you sound good. It's just like literally just the computer hates us today. I don't know. And, you know, we record with mumble. Which normally is really, really good on quality because it's so lightweight. Yes. Yes. Okay. If the internet's going to continue to try and poop itself, I think this is probably a good place to jump to the end and wrap up for now. Um, Definitely find this and read it. It's only, I believe, 54 pages is what I had seen. So it's a quick read. I think the audiobook is only like four hours. Um, no, it's two hours, actually. I think the four oh, was a combination one. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's a quickie. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of stalling right now while I try and find the section that I wanted to end with. Yeah, there we go. It's in the appendix. All right. Yeah. I'm not going to read the full paragraph of the appendix since the internet seems to not allow me to do so. Dude, it's only when you read a long section, too. Otherwise, you're like, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing. Um, So I'm going to try and keep it briefer for that purpose. Um, So here's the way that the Constitution of No Authority ends. But whether the Constitution really be one thing or another, this much is certain, that it has either authorized such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. In either case, it is unfit to exist. You can just imagine a mic drop after that point. Oh, hell yeah. Best mic drop in the last 200 years, honestly. (laughs) Yep, I always loved um, on Roger Paxton's podcast, anytime that he would do a section reporting some malfeasance of the cops recently, he would end it with unfit to fucking exist. Oh, yeah, dude, I miss that guy. I I do, too. He just dropped off the earth all of a sudden. From what I had heard, he was up homesteading and shit in New Hampshire and just got too busy and made no announcement on the podcast and just stopped doing it. Okay. Yeah, I, I wondered, because um, I thought he had mentioned something about his wife having cancer, but it was oh, hell. in remission. Because he, he did a commercial about it like because he, he was promoting a health share in his sponsorships. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was. And uh, I think she must have been she must have been in remission or something because it sounded like it happened like a long time ago the way he talked about it in that commercial yes yeah yeah so i i was always wondering like okay did something happen with his wife or did he just like drop off the map and stop caring about the podcast like i don't know yeah yeah it seemed like the latter hopefully nothing went wrong there um yeah he he was he was cool he was a good podcast especially for radicalizing me early on his, uh, uh, I think his last two, like the two most recent episodes, um, and what, what was it called again? Lava Flow. Lava Flow for Libertarian, Anarchist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. Yes, um, indeed. The most two recent episodes on that, uh, I think were some of my favorites, actually, because he does, he has one that's called Why I Don't Vote. And it oh, was, nice. I, I liked it. I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, and then he has, he has another one, a side podcast called Essential Libertarianism, and it's just him reading, like, old articles and stuff from, like, guys like Carl Watner and, um, you know, the people that called themselves voluntarists, which was a, a niche 
and they had really good stuff, really good uh, arguments and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his other bit he would always do? Something in the neck. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, dang it, man! It was so oh, good. Oh no, because he would he would say he would say um, he would say. Uh, because he'd be talking about the government and he'd say like, you know, whatever the topic happened to be like, yes. let's say it was, let's say it was schooling. He'd be like, you know, I lost you. Fuck you. No. You in the neck with a number two pencil or some shit. Yeah. 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 Fuck you. That's what it was. Yeah. He would oh, always he use, yeah, I lost you for a bit there. Um, but yeah, he would always use some prop from One the previous of us story. Has awful internet. Can you hear me? Yes. Did you did it play the what I said or? No, it was real choppy. But I got okay. I caught I caught the end part. I caught the fuck you in the neck, which is the part I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. So if it was if it was schooling, he would say something like you know fuck you in the neck with a number two pencil or something and he had yep. to make up a new one every time yep it was always something relating back to the previous story it was so good yep always made me laugh yes me too me too God, uh, roger if you hear this reach out we love you man <laughs> welfare check on on roger paxton he actually he he started the they called it Forkfest and it yeah, was yeah. the libertarian like so it was the Childerberg side of Porkfest because Porkfest was where all the tents were where the people were doing speeches and shit right and Forkfest was like we're we're over here camping and it's just like freaking Burning Man yeah yeah it's still going nice okay yeah well, yeah people should check that out and get in on it yeah for sure I know uh, Brian Norton's going out there this year he keeps talking about all the things except for Childerberg. And like he's gonna go from Seattle to New Hampshire, but no mention of Childerberg. I mentioned it to him, and nothing. Sad. Yeah, I don't. Brian Norton is he's a little bit more up there, isn't he? Like Mises dot org. No, no, guy, no, no. or what is he? No, he's uh, Deal. he's a coffee roaster, a permaculture guy, uh, big like weed advocate. Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah. He's he is like one of the most relaxed but also like zany people. He is incredible. Hmm. All right. Yep, I like him a lot. Um he's had there's been some internal squabblings between he and another another friend that I've got that I don't know the full details of, so that's kinda of sad that one of them seems to have been a poopy head, but I still like them both, so I'm not gonna let it sully my understanding of either of them without full context yeah that's probably good to do just stay out of it and wait yep. for somebody to you know yeah yeah all i know is somebody was a poopy head and i don't know which one and they're both neither of them have been poopy heads to me so it's all good right well uh do we have any housekeeping updates i don't know uh check out the etsy shop link in the description uh, I'm making all sorts of different t-shirts. I'm making stickers too, but I'm not going to sell those because they are at least as much work as t-shirts and nobody's going to pay $25 for a sticker. Um, so those I'll just be handing out at Childerberg as like marketing material, basically. Uh, Childerberg's already happened when we're releasing this. So nice to meet you all. Hopefully you got a sticker. 
Thanks for buying shirts if you did. I love you all. Um, stores on Etsy for now. I've already had one listing kicked off because the Trailer Park Boys Incorporated is apparently a bunch of losers. Um, they inactivated my Frig Off shirt uh, because I put Trailer Park Boys in the title. And they're really big lovers of intellectual property. So they are Mr. Yeah, you got to fly under the radar with that. I know, but like, how do I get eyeballs on it if I don't use the just, SOE? Yeah, you gotta, yep. That's the that's the balance I got to walk in. This is new territory for me. <laughs> SEO, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, SOE. Search optimization, uh, energy, and I can't even put the words out in the wrong order. The state of elderberries? I don't know. I'm just couldn't tell you. Words. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> yep. See you guys. All right. Peace Cheers. and love.